Good morning. It's good to be with you guys this morning. As, uh, as Adam said, my name is Clint, and this is my wife, Quinn, and our son, Jack, is in the nursery. Um, and we are resident church planters over at Redemption Hill Church. Um, and as he said, we'll be planting in Clemens this year. And so we, now that we've met you, uh, we have a request of you, and that is to pray for us. Um, we ask for your prayers for our family. Uh, we ask for your prayers for um, the area of Clemens, that the gospel would go forward there, that it would be planted in hearts and minds, and that lives would be transformed. Um, we have, by being in the residency, I've had the privilege of getting to hear from Adam a little bit about what's going on here at Citizens Church, um, and it has been a blessing to us to hear that. Uh, we rejoice in what we've heard of the testimony of what the Lord's doing here, um, and that testimony is you. You know, Adam would be the first one to tell you this church plan is not about him. It's not about Citizens Church as, as a brand or a location or a name. But it's about God receiving glory through lives being transformed by the gospel. Um, and those lives are, are you and I. And so we praise God for what he's doing here um, and just the good news of what we've heard about Citizens Church. So I have the privilege of um, continuing and I believe concluding uh, Adam's series on Back to the Basics here at the beginning of the year, um, and my topic is going to be on love this morning. So you guys have talked about community, you've talked about generosity, you've talked about evangelism, and today we're going to be talking about love. So as you've probably already figured out, and you'll figure out again today, that when we say back to basics, basic doesn't mean easy. By basic, we don't mean this is simple, this is easy, it'll be, you know, a piece of cake. By basic, we mean foundational. By basic, we mean if we don't get this right, we're not going to get anything right. Um, and so we're going back to the foundations, we're going back to the basics of what everything that we are as believers and everything that we are as a church is built on. And so the reality is the basics are not easy, the basics are actually often very, very hard. They're very, very difficult um, and very, very challenging to us. Challenging might not be a word that you would associate with something like love, um, but as we'll see in Scripture, the love of God is a very challenging thing, both as a concept and even more so as a reality. So let me pray for us, and then we're going to dive in this morning. Let's pray. Father in heaven, our Lord, we love you. Father, I pray that through your word, through your spirit being inside of us and through us, even just for a few minutes this morning, abiding and resting more deeply in your love, that we would come to know more what that means to love you and to be loved by you. Father, as we open your word, we pray that your word would speak to us. that your word would challenge us, that your word would encourage us. Lord, I pray that as we look into the mirror of your word this morning, that we would be honest with ourselves. That we would see who we are, who you are, and who you've made us to be. Father, we love you and we thank you for your grace, your mercy and for this chance to gather together as believers this morning. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 
Today we're going to be asking three questions about love, and those are three questions that we're going to use as kind of a, a basis for how to approach this topic and how to understand this. We're going to ask, why does it matter? Second, we're going to ask, what is it? And third, we're going to ask, how do we get it? Why does it matter? What is it? How do we get it? So let's jump into the first one. Why does love matter? What role does love have in the life of a Christian or in the life of the church is another way of asking that. Or maybe even a different way of thinking about it would be, what's at stake? So this is one of the basics. This is one of the foundation, one of the cornerstones of our faith, of who we are as believers and as a church. If we get this wrong, what's at stake? What are we losing? What are we missing? So we're going to do a quick survey of a couple texts to find the answers to those questions. The first text we're going to look at And this will be up on the screen is Matthew chapter 22, verses 36 through 40. Very familiar passage to us. Here's what it says. It says, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And here's Jesus' answer. And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. The, the thing I want us to see here from this passage is such a central passage. Um, it's one of those passages that has a name. You know, when a passage has like a name, a title, we know it's important. This is called the great commandment. Um, and so when it has a name, you know this is a big deal. In our first passage, Jesus tells us that love is the basis for God's design for humanity. Or put more simply, You and I were made for love. So if you're familiar with the Bible, and I hope you are, you'll know that the majority of the Bible is the Old Testament. So when Jesus says the law and the prophets, he's referring to the Old Testament. That's like the major chunk. I don't even have the whole thing. There we go. That's the Old Testament. So that's a huge chunk of your Bible, right? And and Jesus here is saying this, this huge chunk, the law and the prophets, everything In the Old Testament, it all depends on two commandments, and both of them have to do with love. You and I were made for love. So if the purpose of the law and the prophets is God telling us who we are supposed to be as people, starts with creation, tells us why God made us, what God designed us to be, and he's telling us that the purpose of the law and the prophets, the whole thing depends on, one, loving God completely, and then out of that, two, loving each other. Loving God completely and loving each other. The entire Old Testament depends on that. Everything that God expects us to be as human beings, everything he created us to be, it all depends on love. Let's go to another key statement of Jesus in John chapter 13. 34 and 35, maybe a little less familiar, but will probably still ring a bell to you. This is what it says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So this is fun. If you are, you don't have to raise your hand if you consider yourself this, but if you are an astute, a careful reader of Scripture, You've probably just had a question pop up in your head. 
I hope you are a careful reader of Scripture because just as Jesus tells us, he tells us that we don't live just by food and water and oxygen. We live by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. If that's true, I hope you are a careful reader of Scripture. And if you're paying close attention, you're probably going to be asking, how is this a new command? How, how is that a new command? Jesus has just said the entire Old Testament, all the law and the prophets, depends on love God and love your neighbor. And Jesus isn't making those up. So you can go and look those up. Um, they're from Deuteronomy 6, 5 is the first one. And then Leviticus 19, 18 is what he's quoting for the second, to love your neighbor as yourself. So these are very, very old commands. So why is Jesus saying, I'm giving you a new commandment? Love one another. Well, it is not so much the command that is new. It is that Jesus is giving that command, that very old command, to a new group of people. A people that have never existed before. A people that is so new and so important that Scripture even refers to it as a new humanity. And who he's talking about is the church. You see, the love of God demonstrated through Jesus on the cross creates a new community, a new group of people that never existed before. And that is the church. That is followers of Jesus, Jesus' disciples. That's you and me. And Jesus is saying this new community, this new humanity, this new group of people, I'm going to give them a new commandment that is going to serve as the foundation for how they interact with each other. It's going to be the culture setter for this new community. And he said, the new commandment I'm going to give is that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. So love is the basis of God's design for humanity, but then love is the foundation, is to be the defining characteristic of the church the defining characteristic of the church. If you've been in the church very long, um, you probably just had a warning bell go off. Maybe that hasn't always been the defining characteristic you've seen and felt and experienced in the church, and we'll get to that. We'll discuss that. But as we see why love matters, what's at stake, certainly we see that it is foundational for how the church is to relate to one another. But not only that, see, even when Jesus gives this command, he's giving a command to the church, but even when he gives that command, his eyes are already looking outside of the church. He's not just looking at the community within the church. He says, all people, all nations will know that you are my disciples by the way you love one another. Put a different way, and maybe a more scary and intimidating way, The way that the world is going to know Jesus is by the way that you and I treat each other. The way that the world is going to know the love of God is by the way that you and I demonstrate love to each other. So to summarize, love is the basis for God's design for humanity. It's the foundation for who we are as a church and the way that we treat each other. And now we see love is the key for advancing God's mission in the world. See, Jesus is not still here with us. He ascended to heaven to sit at the right hand of God, and he said, you guys, the way you love one another, that's how people are going to know me. That's how people are going to know my love. 
So that's what that's what's at stake when we talk about love. That's why it matters. Um, and I think that we can safely say if there's ever been a people who cared about love, who needed to know what love is and how to do it, it would be Christians. If there's ever been a people who would be really, really interested in finding out what does this mean, uh, how does that affect my daily life? Like when I get up in the morning, my alarm goes off at 6 o'clock in the morning, and my job is to love, like what, what does that mean? If there's ever been a people that needs to know, it would be us. So that leads us to our second question, what is it? What is love? And this should be the easy part, right? Surely everyone knows what love is. Everyone loves. Everyone has been loved in some way. It should be self-explanatory. Well, language matters. Language matters a lot, and it matters a lot when we're talking about love. Uh, we know this intuitively, so I'll give you an example. I'll just say a few sentences, and, and you see if you're tracking with me. So I love coffee. I also love, I had a conversation earlier with someone who shares this love, I also love Georgia Bulldogs football. Good year for that. Very good year after 41 years of not being a very good year. I love my son, Jack. And I love my wife, Quinn. I think you're already seeing that language matters and I just said the same word about coffee, about Georgia, about my son, about my wife. Surely I mean something a little bit different in each of those sentences, right? Obviously, we know that. But even beyond that, I want you to realize that when I say those different sentences, it's not just a difference in the degree to which I love those things. So it's not that I love coffee this much. I love Georgia that much. Actually, those might be switched. I'm not sure. I love Jack this much, and I love Quinn this much. I do love my wife more than my son, by the way. Um, I tell him that on a regular basis. Um, he's number two, though, so it's, uh, he's still high on the list. It's, but it's not just a difference in degree. There's a difference in nature. It's not like if, if, if this cup of coffee was just so stinking good that I would love it more and more to the point where I'd be like, okay, I'm going to marry this cup of coffee instead, okay? Like, it's different in nature. I'm using the same word, but I'm talking about completely different things. In one case, I'm talking about my taste buds and the way I feel when I have caffeine running through my veins. You know, in another case, I'm talking about the person that I literally have joined my life to and become one with and want to spend every day of the rest of my life with. Those are two things that are so different not just in degree, but in nature. So when we read about love in the Bible, we have to confront this fact. We have to confront that the things that pop into our head when we hear the word love are not necessarily what the Bible is referring to. So we have to be very careful with language. So clearly there are different types of love, and we're going to be looking at a very important and specific type of love when we're talking about Christian love. If you'll turn to First uh, John chapter four, if you have a Bible with you, this will kind of be our main text for the rest of or the rest of our time this morning. We're going to be in First John chapter four, um, verses seven through twelve. It'll also be on the screen, so you can see it there. First John four seven through twelve says this: Beloved, let us love one another. 
For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world, so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. We've heard this love many times in this passage and in this sermon already. We've heard this word love, and, and in the church, if we, if we hear the word love enough, we can assume that we know what it means. Um, but I want us to push past that this morning. I want us to look with open, open minds, open hearts at what is meant by this love. Because unfortunately, we have a lot of misconceptions about love, both in our culture and in the church. And that makes sense, right? So if love is central to who we are as humans, if it is central to what it means to be the church, and if it's central to God's mission in the world, then you can bet that the world, the flesh, and the devil are going to resist us understanding and demonstrating love as much as possible, right? Um, So any way that Satan or the world can bring in confusion on this topic, uh, you can see how they would want to do that. Thankfully, this passage goes a long way towards addressing some of those misconceptions for us. The first key way that our passage addresses our misconceptions about love is by telling us that God defines love, not the other way around. God defines love, not the other way around. Let's take a closer look at verses 7 and 8, if we can get those up there. Um, so w- when I say God defines love, not the other way around, Jesus, uh, John is telling us that for us to have any idea what love is, to have any idea what love is, we have to know who God is. So understanding love is really theology, is studying God. Studying love is studying God. He is saying God is love. If you know God, you know love. If you don't know God, you don't know love. That's what he's saying. So immediately when we see love in this passage, if the thing that pops into your head is something that you have seen in people who don't know God, then that's not what John's talking about. So it can't just be a type of affection. It can't just be liking something. It has to be something different. Because the only way that we can know it is to know God. It only comes through Him. You see, you and I are always in danger of placing God, and by extension the church, under our preconceptions and our definition of love. This is a very common thing for us to do. So we see God as love, and we can say, well, I know what love is, and so therefore God has to fit in that box of my understanding of love. But what John is saying is, no, God is love. So whatever God is and whatever God does, by looking at that is the only way that you and I can know 
what love is. There's two ways that in particular that you and I um, can kind of do this, kind of put our definition of God, our definition of love onto God or onto the church. See, on one side, these are two, di- two very different uh, misconceptions we can have, and I think people in general, based on like personality or things like that, we tend to fall one way or the other. So you can kind of you know, look at this and see where you fall. Maybe you can nudge the person next to you and say, you're on that side over there. Um, but there's two ways that we tend to have misconceptions about this. One is that we take a very worldly definition of love and we apply it to God. And our culture is so very wrong in our definition of love. Our culture says that love is an emotion that we cannot control. It's how movies portray love. It's how love is talked about. It's an emotion something that we can't control. You fall in love, right? You fall in love. People talk about falling out of love. I couldn't help it. We fell out of love. Yet, Scripture talks about love encompassing the mind, the will, behaviors, and emotions. You see, God commands us to love. Have you ever thought about that? How can you command someone to do something that they can't control? How can you command someone to have an emotion that can't be controlled? Our culture also says that each person can define what love is for themselves. But God said that he is the definition of love, and no one can know love apart from him. God himself is love. So an indicator if you tend to fall in this direction, if you read the Bible, you'll often be confronted by God saying and doing things that kind of shock you, that maybe kind of offend you, that maybe you look at them and you say, why did God do that? If you find yourself looking at some of the things God says and does in the Old Testament or in Scripture, and a lot of them are very hard, if you look at those things and you say, that doesn't look like love, why would God do that? That is us taking our definition of love and placing it onto God. Another big way that we do this is there are a lot of moral teachings in Scripture, in God's law and God's commands that we're really uncomfortable with. A lot of moral teachings that our culture says the exact opposite of. And our culture teaches that a loving God would never tell people that they can't do things that they want to do or things that define them. This this comes up all the time in the area of sexuality. We see this all the time in our culture where our culture defines sexuality as people being able to do whatever makes them feel good. And so when God says no to that, say, well, that doesn't sound very loving. But if God himself defines love, then our definition is the thing that's the problem. There's another way There's, there's another way that we look at love and we get it wrong, and this is on the opposite side. Um, so on one side, it's kind of that, it's almost this touchy-feely kind of thing, you know, where it's just like, okay, why would God tell us we can't do things, or why would God make rules that we don't want to follow? On the other side, uh, we can reduce love to a list of do's and don'ts. We can reduce love to just like, well, Take all that emotion out of it. Take all the touchy-feely stuff. I don't want any of that. Don't talk about desires. Don't talk about passion. I don't like to sing in worship services. I don't cry. I'm a man or a woman who doesn't cry. 
we try to boil love down to just an action. We say it's not a feeling, it's just an action. And that's legalism, isn't it? It's just this idea that God doesn't care so much about my feelings, my desires, my heart. He, I just need to do the right things. You know what? I give to the church. I come to church. I volunteer at church. I don't cheat on my taxes. You know, I follow the rules. That's love, right? Well, on that side, we're missing something, too. Um, and I want to look at a passage to uh, tell us exactly what we're missing. 1 Corinthians 13, 2 and 3 anybody have 1 Corinthians 13 read at their wedding? Uh, this is a big wedding passage, so um, it is a great passage for weddings, I will say. However, far from being a really sentimental passage, this passage is really a brutal attack against legalism. It is a brutal attack um, against self-righteousness. Um, here's what it says, if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. If we really sit down and think about what this passage is saying, it's kind of, kind of frightening. Kind of frightening, especially for those of us that have grown up in the church or maybe really, really used to doing all the churchy things. Theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this, reflecting on this passage. He says, Everything that we are accustomed to call love, that which lives in the depths of the soul and in the visible deed, and even the brotherly service of one's neighbor, even things that proceed from a pious heart, all of this can be without love. And not just because there's this residue of selfishness in all of our human conduct, but because love as a whole is something entirely different from what the word designates here. This is a frightening passage. If you look at 1 Corinthians 13 and you see that you could even go to the point, you could have so much devotion to Christianity as a religion that you'd be willing to die for it. But if you don't have love, it gains nothing. It's nothing. That should be a real check against us who are used to checking all the boxes, following all the rules. I do all the right things. I'm devoted. I'm, I, I even read my Bible every day. You can do all of those things, man. You can do all of those things. And if you don't have love, it's nothing. So we have to let God teach us what love is. We have to question our assumptions about what love looks like. On the one hand, it can't be reduced to just emotions and feelings. But on the other, it can't just be actions and behaviors. So what is love? God defines it. God is love. God is the source of it. And he has made his love known to us in one very, very specific way. If you want to know what, the, what love is, the gospel is a manifestation of God's love. Everything that we know about true love, we only know through the gospel. 1 John 4, 9 and 10, let's look back at that. It says, In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. 
Well, that's a big word, propitiation. Uh, it's a big word in terms of uh, syllables, but also in terms of impact. So let's look at it a little bit closer. Propitiation, the definition of that is averting the wrath of God by offering a gift. Averting the wrath of God by offering a gift. That's a broader definition. That's an idea that you see in a lot of religions um, and that you see in a lot of um, religious contexts. But specifically, within the context of Christianity, here's what propitiation is. This is by uh, theologian Ligon Duncan. He says, Here John makes it crystal clear that God in love provides his son as the propitiation that we need. The Christian doctrine of propitiation is not that is not that of our trying to get God to love us and forgive us by placating him by a sacrifice that we take the initiative to bring to him. He's saying, this is not us going to God and saying, God's angry with me, I need to do something, I need to bring something to God to get rid of his anger. This is God himself taking the initiative toward us in love, even though we betrayed and rebelled against him, and he provides for us precisely the propitiation that we need. So God, in his wrath against sin, provided the sacrifice, provided the appeasement himself. God himself initiated and prompted the sacrifice on our behalf. So now and only now we can arrive at our working definition of love and our answer to the question of what love is. We see love is demonstrated at the cross. Love is the reconciliation of man with God in Jesus Christ. If you want to know what love is, you look at the cross. I want to give us just a, a couple handles to, as we look at the cross to see what love is. I want you to think of it as the cross is the place where truth and grace meet. The place where truth and grace meet. You see, because at the cross, we see a truth, a hard truth of who we are as people, of who we are as humanity. At the cross, we see that we are more sinful than we ever dared believe, more sinful than we would ever dare reveal to anybody. At the cross, we see that God's Holiness and wrath and justice against sin is more terrifying than we ever would have feared. The wrath that God poured out at the cross is a wrath that if you and I saw it, we would... Scripture paints a picture of people crying for rocks to fall on them just to hide them from the wrath of God. That's what's being demonstrated at the cross. But the cross is not just where we see that truth, it's where we see God's grace. Because in God's grace, that wrath for sin is not poured out on us. God's righteous anger is not directed at us. But instead, God himself takes that punishment for us. The cross is where the truth and grace of God meet, and the cross is where we see the love of God demonstrated. We've talked about why love matters. We now see in the cross what love is. Now, how do we get it? 
Well, of love is the reconciliation of man with God and Jesus Christ. I want to look at it from three perspectives. Personally, within the church and within the world, how do we personally come to know the love of God? We personally come to know the love of God by, as an individual, personally being reconciled to God through Jesus. So what what does that look like? That looks like coming to the cross in faith. Laying down all of your hopes and dreams of being good enough to be accepted by God, acknowledging who you are as a human being, acknowledging that you fall short of everything that God made you to be. And then turning to Jesus and saying, Jesus provides a righteousness that I could never have on my own. Jesus has taken the death that should have been mine and placing your faith in him. We come to know the love of God by being reconciled to God at the cross, by coming to know the love of Jesus at the cross. For those of you who um, have put your faith in Christ, those of you who say, that is my life, that is my testimony, I've put my faith in Jesus. You may be thinking now, this, this love of God is not something that I feel or that changes my life on a regular basis. You know, when you really get down to it and you're eating your oatmeal in the morning or, or whatever, like, you're going to work, you're, you're doing your thing, like, you're, you're dealing with your kids for the thousandth time, the love of God might not be something that seems to actually be changing your life and defining who you are as a person. So what's the answer? What do we do? You say, well, I've already done that thing. I've already put my faith in Christ. I believed in the gospel, but I'm not experiencing that love on a daily basis. It isn't changing who I am. It isn't changing my life. It isn't the defining characteristic of who I am. Well, the answer for us as Christians is the exact same answer as it is for those who have never met Jesus. And it's to come to the foot of the cross and see who Jesus is and to put your faith in Christ. We say, well, I've already done that. Putting your faith in Christ is not something that you do and then move on from. It's a here and now faith. You see, the gospel is not just this diving board that we jump off of. We, we, we jump off of the diving board of the gospel, and now we say, okay, now I'm a Christian. Now what do I do? You know, give me the list of activities. Give me the things I need to sign up for. The gospel is the entirety of what it is to be a Christian. Because in the gospel is the only place that we know the love of God. It's the only place that we can become who we were made to be. It's the only place that we can relate to each other the way that we're supposed to as a church, and it's the only way that the world is ever going to see the hope of Christ. So we need to have a here and now faith to meditate on the gospel every day, to see each day our lives in the light of the truth and the grace that meets at the cross. So how can we demonstrate the love of God within the church. So now we're, we're back to that kind of uncomfortable topic we alluded to at the beginning. Inside of the church, if you've been in the church long enough, and I've been in the church for a long time, I was a pastor's kid. I grew up in a kind of a small town church with a pastor for a father, lived in the fishbowl. Everybody was watching us. We had to act a certain way, perform a certain way. Um, I've been through that, and I've seen the hurt that can happen in the church. I've been hurt by the church, 
And if you've been in the church long enough, if this isn't your first Sunday, if this is your first Sunday, you might not have been hurt by the church yet. So congratulations. Um, but if you've been in the church any amount of time at all, even a church as good as citizens, you're going to be hurt by the church. But not only that, you're going to be disappointed in the church. You're going to be disappointed in the people that are around you. You're going to be like, this is not what I thought it was supposed to be. You read the Bible, all this love and grace and singing and fellowship and a community, and it's all so awesome. But like Ed over here, I hope there's not an Ed here, but Ed over here, he doesn't look like that at all. Like, what's going on here? Um, well, the church is often not experienced the way that it's supposed to be. So how... Do we demonstrate the love of God within the church? Well, you will never, and this is, this is key, and, and I, hope that, um, I hope this speaks to you guys. In the church, you will never come to experience the love of God within the church, and you will never come to love the church by focusing on the church. You'll never come to love the church by focusing on the church. Because the reality is, if you focus on the church... The church is full of really messed up, sinful, weird people just like you and me. And so the more you focus on the church and the more you get to know church people, the more you are disappointed and hurt and offended and just asking, what is going on here? You might even come to the point where you're questioning the wisdom of God and leaving his mission in the world to us. That the world is going to know Jesus by the way we love each other in the church. Have you been in the church? But you'll find that God is wiser than we are. God's love is demonstrated in the church. And this is key. God's love is demonstrated in the church, not by us being better people that are in the world. The love of God is demonstrated in the church, not by us just being better than everybody else, being nicer than everybody else being easier to get along with or cooler or more interesting. That's not the hope of the world. The reality is most of us are not that cool. We're not that interesting, and we're not that great of people. You will only come to know the love of God within the church when God's love, when that love is an extension of God's love for you. You see, the Gospel is demonstrated in the church by us being really messed up and sinful people. And when we are really messed up and sinful people, acknowledging that, the truth of God, and then forgiving one another, bearing with one another, <laughs> reconciling with one another. You see, it's, it's the gospel being demonstrated and played out in our failures and our ability to reconcile over those failures. That is where the love of God is seen within the church. So how do we demonstrate the love of God to the world? Well, those who've been reconciled to God by his love have been given the ministry of reconciliation in the world. So we've already kind of said the chief way that the world is going to know the love of God is by how we love each other, but also it's going to be seen by the way that we interact with our neighbors, our coworkers, our lost friends, by the way that we love the world directly. I want to give you two things as you think about loving the lost, loving the world around you, loving them to the cross, I want you to think of loving people through the gospel and loving people to the gospel. Loving people through the gospel and to the gospel. 
your love for people, just like within the church, doesn't come by focusing on people. Because in people, we're not worthy of God's love. But if we focus on what Christ has done for us, if we focus on the love that God has demonstrated to us, that is how we are able to love those around us, in spite of all of our sin, our messiness, our imperfections, and the ugliness that's in us. But then loving people to the gospel. The second way we demonstrate God's love to the world is by pointing them to the truth and grace of God demonstrated through the person and work of Jesus. The hope of the world is the love of God demonstrated through Jesus on the cross. And the way that we love those around us is by pointing them to that love. 